We're going to start in Jeremiah 7 this morning. Jeremiah 7, 23. God says, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. This is week three of a little mini-series on how to hear the Holy Spirit, how to know if you have an idea or a thought or a leading or a feeling or you need to make a decision in a situation where you need God's guidance, how do you know what's God and what's not? God says in Jeremiah 7, Obey my voice, and I will be your God and you shall be my people. Probably over a hundred times in the Old Testament, God says, Obey my commands, obey my law, obey my statutes. But a few times in the Old Testament, God makes his people aware that there's more than just following rules. He never says that this supersedes the rules or that people are excused from following his law. He just says there's more than just following the rules and being a good person. I want you to hear my voice and to actually know me. Even in the Old Testament, before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, God says, you can know my voice. And if you obey what I tell you, I will be your God and you will be my people. In Isaiah... He says this, Isaiah 30, 21, your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it, whenever you turn to the right hand or whenever you turn to the left. God says, if you will tune your ears, you will hear my whisper in your heart, in your mind, in your spirit. If you turn to the right or the left, meaning if you go off course, you'll hear me speak to you and say, hey, woohoo, eh, back here, <laughs> even before the Holy Spirit was poured out on all flesh on the day of Pentecost, even when the law reigned, as in the old covenant, God says, you can know me, you can hear my voice. So we're talking about what does that sound like? How does God lead his people? And then at the cross, Jesus accomplished the opening of heaven. His flesh, which is the word of God made flesh was opened up and his blood poured out, which is the spirit of God. And the spirit of God was poured out at Pentecost 2,000 years ago. Now, we supposedly are indwelled by the Holy Spirit. I say supposedly not because it's not true, but we're supposed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're supposed to be living with God and walking with him and not just be rule followers who are good people, but people who know and commune with God. I said, people who know and commune with God. All right. Five people are excited about that. Jesus said in John chapter 10, when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them and the sheep follow him for they know his voice. Jesus is talking about himself as the shepherd, but he draws a picture of a shepherd who is not pushing the sheep. He's not poking the sheep to get them to go. He is walking ahead of them and he says, if you're my sheep, you will follow me. Because why? You will hear my voice. Jesus said over and over again, you have ears, but you're not hearing. You have eyes, but you're not seeing. And so again, we're in this year plus long series on how to be a spiritual Christian instead of a, just a religious one. How to actually know God and walk with him and see the world in a spiritual worldview. Jesus said, if you're my sheep, you will know my voice and you will follow me. So that doesn't supersede any of the commands of Scripture. It doesn't negate anything God said about obeying the rules and commands and laws that are here, but it adds a dimension of communion and a relationship. That not just that you read a book and do what it says, but that you actually know the author. It is totally possible for people to be very faithful, good Christians. 
know what the Bible says, and reasonably faithful about obeying it, and not know Jesus at all. It's very possible. There's a lot of people that way. They know what Jesus said, but they don't know what he's saying. Because they don't hear his voice. In John 16, Jesus said, When the Spirit of truth comes, he will lead you into all truth, and he will not speak his own words, but he will speak only what he hears, and he will tell you what is to come. Jesus said the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth is going to come, and what's he doing when he arrives? He's speaking. So we should be hearing if we are indeed full of the Holy Spirit. Because John 14, Jesus says he will live in us. I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that you may, he may abide with you forever. The Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus said I will send, the Father will send a helper. He's the spirit of truth, and he will abide with us forever. Abide does not just mean live. It means to exist. Those of you who are old timers will remember the, the phrase to live and move and have our being. How many of you are familiar with that one? In him we live and move and have our being. It doesn't mean just that we live life with Jesus. It means that we exist in him and him in us. Jesus says the Holy Spirit is with us and will be in us. We must abide in the Holy Spirit and Him in us. Not just live, but to exist. Our very being is in Him. In my job, in my position, I have to, present tense, I must abide in Christ, in the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, I'm going to completely fail at what I need to do and what I need to give you. I have to give you fresh bread. I cannot preach from a filing cabinet. It doesn't mean that I don't revisit topics that I've talked to you about before, but I have to know that this is what the Holy Spirit wants to say this Sunday. Or else it's dead. It's just empty. It's yesterday's manna, which goes rotten. For those of you who don't know what I'm referring to, when the Israelites were in the wilderness, God made bread form like dew on the ground every morning, and they were pick it up, and it was their food for the day. There's another verse that says it's the, actually the food of angels that he gave them to subsist, subsist on there for 40 years. But they couldn't keep it overnight or it would go rotten. And it stunk really bad. What God gave you yesterday, it was for yesterday. And what is for today, you have to get today. We have to have fresh bread. We have to live in the Spirit. What is he saying to me now? What is he telling me to do today? Jesus said, I am living water. And whoever drinks from me will never thirst. The phrase living water was actually a pretty common phrase in the Middle East where they don't have a whole lot of water. It's really dry desert. Living water in biblical culture in that language of the day meant moving water. Because moving water makes noise and it has energy and they thought of it as alive. As opposed to water in a cistern or in a lake or a pond, that's dead water. Living water comes out of a spring or is running down a creek. And in their world where it wasn't nearly as piped and chlorinated and fluorinated as our water is today, you had to know where you could drink and you could, drink, you could safely drink living water. Still water had disease in it. We've got to have living water, water that's moving, that's energetic, that's alive, that's speaking now. Because stagnant water, maybe it was alive at one point, it got there somehow, 
but now it isn't. Hello? We have to live and move in the Spirit to know Jesus. The last book of the Bible is called Revelation. The full title is The Revelation of Jesus Christ. The first sentence, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. And what happened? Jesus was revealed to him. You see it? If you want to know Jesus, we have to live in the Spirit today. We have to know what the Holy Spirit is saying inside of us to speaking to our own spirit right now. So, I can teach you. I can feed you really good on a Sunday morning, and I do feed you some good stuff if I do say so myself. Jesus told Peter, feed my sheep. And actually, that's one of the very specific words I got 11 years ago is feed my sheep. I cook up some pretty good stuff for you, but I can't make you eat it. I can't make you do anything with it. You have to take it and go live your life. I, you can't live on somebody else's faith. You can't live on somebody else's teaching. You have to know Jesus yourself. You have to abide in Christ yourself. It's a relationship. It's a two-way, two-person relationship. So I've been talking to you about this for a couple weeks on how to hear the Holy Spirit, how to know what's right and wrong, and how to be led in decisions and circumstances, and to know what the Lord is saying to you about the situations and circumstances of your life, and how not to make prayer just a checklist or uh, 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 your Bible reading just a, a time to race through, but how to actually have a two, two-way conversation. And the number one thing that any relationship have to have for the relationship to be alive, I'm talking about you and God, but it also applies to you and anyone, the number one thing is time. We have to make time to communicate. It's that simple and it's that difficult, is it not? Time is the factor. Our relationship with God cannot be a program. Like, I'm going to read the Bible through in a year. If we make anything the goal other than time with God, then it becomes a program. Our prayer list becomes a business meeting agenda, and it isn't real life. Hello? It's just about time, because time together creates relationship. We have some very special guests with us this morning. This is the Powell family right here. I'm sorry to draw attention to you. I'm sure you love that. This is Nathan Powell. He's a really good friend from high school. He's in the class ahead of me. Uh, I was in their wedding. This is his wife Jody and Emma and Grace and Elijah. He's the pastor at Auburn Christian Church in Auburn, Nebraska. They're on their way from Camas to Ogden today or Salt Lake area and then, and then on home to Nebraska uh, tomorrow. And they just stopped through to meet us for lunch. Nathan and I have been friends since... Was I in fifth grade and you in sixth when your dad came to Skidmore? Okay, I was in sixth, he was in seventh grade. We grew up through high school together and then he went one way to college and I went another and have we seen each other five or six times in 20 years, I suppose? Okay, somewhere around that in 20 years. I've been to their house uh, a couple of times, uh, but this is your first trip here. So one of the times that we met for lunch, I don't know, four or five, six years ago, we went to a barbecue place, and it was really good food, and we had time. So have you ever been in a relationship like ours where you were separated and then at a class reunion or some other situation where you haven't seen somebody for a long time, and you were really, really close, but when you reconnect, 
you can't just dive in the deep end in the first three sentences. You have to start with some small talk, right? Because it, it hasn't been time. There's been continued alive connection. So Nathan and I can go real deep real quick, and we did the last time we had lunch together, but that was years ago. It isn't going to happen today. We got our families with us. It's, it's, did you have a nice drive through the gorge? How are your kids? Get to know the kids, and we have lunch and subways at the park, and they hit the road. Nothing personal, I know. I'm really happy they give us any time at all. I know how these long road trips go. But we're not just going to be able to dive in the deep end because we're starting over. Time, sustained, long-term, lots of connection creates relationship. And you can have memories and fun and laughter and those deep relationships, but when you haven't connected for a while, you kind of have to start over. And catch up and get to know each other again. I'm talking about you and God. If it's been a while, you're not going to get real deep real fast. It takes time. Hello? So, I'm talking about time. I'm talking about knowing the Holy Spirit and hearing His voice. It just takes time. In you and God talking. Him talking to you. Crack this book. Him talking to you and you talking to him. In continued, sustained, everyday, real-life relationship. It's got to be time. We have to create a habit, a routine. I even want to use the word ritual. You should have a ritual about your time with God. Like you do the same thing every time. Um, if you create a sacred space in a sacred time in your day. By sacred, I mean it is set apart just for this. If you create a sacred space and time in your day, it becomes routine. And any psychologist will tell you that the longer you do something repeatedly, the faster your brain can enter into it because you develop actual brain pathways for whatever it is that you're doing. And that's true in sports and any hobby, skill, knowledge, a language, you, your brain grows around what you repeatedly do. So if you repeatedly, every day, make time, the same time, to do time alone with God, you will enter into His presence so much easier and faster. Because your body and your mind know Jesus called it your prayer closet. It doesn't have to be a closet. But when, I, when I'm here in this time, this is what happens. And for the first week or two, you might have to really fight a lot of cluttered thoughts and energy and distractions, but eventually you will zone in in that time and you will reach God so much quicker and clearer and louder and plainly than if your life is just helter-skelter all the time and sometimes I'm with God and sometimes I'm not. I see you nodding or thinking. Sacred space. Jesus called it a prayer closet. It doesn't have to be a closet. For me, it's the recliner in our living room. Um, Half the time I'm up before anybody else, and it happens before Sarah and the kids are even out there. But then sometimes that doesn't happen. I'm, I'm up after the kids getting ready for school, and then everybody's buzzing around. But, but I know that if I don't sit in that chair and open my Bible, no matter what people are talking around and, and moving, and if I don't sit there and do that right then, then my day's going to get started without me giving God time, and it isn't going to happen very easily. 
So you make a location, you make a time. I heard a story once of a guy who grew up 100 years ago in a family of 12 or 14 kids. His mom's routine was they lived in a real small house and real poor and kids were running around. I got everybody fed and the day has started and she would sit in the kitchen chair in the middle of the day and she would throw her apron up over her head. And that was her prayer closet. And this guy that was telling the story is an older man and, and he said, we knew that if mom had her apron on her head, we better leave the house. You do not interrupt mom when her apron is on her head. <laughs> that, was her, that was her ritual. That's her prayer closet. Just throw the apron up. Cut, the point is, cut the world off. This is my prayer closet. I am alone with God. And the kids knew in no uncertain terms. You will leave the house. You will not interrupt mom until she is up and the apron is off her face. So it doesn't have to be a specific thing. It's just you do you, but make it a routine. This is what I do. This is how I connect with God. This is the sacred time. This is the sacred location. Maybe you need music. Maybe you need coffee. Maybe you need your cat on your lap. I don't know. I would kick the cat away, but some of you love cats or you have a lap dog or whatever it is that you... That, and, and that's going to relax you and, and you crack your Bible. Let me suggest that you actually read a paper Bible rather than one off your phone or your iPad because those things are not holy. You look at a lot of unholy stuff. Our spirit and our eyes and just the habit of holding the phone. How do I want to say this? Just the habit of looking at the phone. What, I, and I don't even mean you're looking at dirty stuff. I just mean you're looking at everything in the world, but this needs to be sacred. So I have a phone, on, a Bible on my phone, and I have one on every computer, and it's got a lot of translations, and I, I love it. But I don't read it for my daily devotions. You know, I've got pastor friends who say, I haven't picked up a paper Bible in 10 years. I don't know. I, I need it. I, I need this because my phone is just a distraction. It's got games on it. It's got Facebook on it. And pretty soon it's got the news on it. And pretty soon I'm not with God. Hello? So let, just let me suggest actual book Bible. Sacred space, sacred time. You know, the word ritual and routine has sort of become a dirty word in the church, but it's not a dirty word to Jesus. Jesus said empty repetition is what is meaningless. But if it's meaningful repetition, then go for it. Do the same thing every day of your life because it feeds you. It connects you with God. Empty repetition is what Jesus said is worthless. But meaningful repetition is commitment and duty and necessity, discipline. Those are good things. So develop a routine. And I want to say this, it doesn't have to be every day. Well, how can you have a routine that isn't every day? Because not every day is routine. What I'm talking about is develop a spiritual routine that is routine every routine day. But Saturday and Sunday usually aren't routine. Vacations aren't routine. Uh, Friday morning I had water spewing out of the wall under my bathroom sink. It did not start in a routine way. I did not get my quiet time um, with God in my scripture on Friday morning because I tackled a plumbing project I shouldn't have and that day did not start routine. So in the afternoon here at church, I read 14 chapters, but reading 14 chapters is not routine. I hardly ever read 14 chapters. Sometimes I only read a half a chapter. But there are days that aren't routine. Days you're sick are not routine days. 
if we make a legalistic thing about it, it becomes a business program agenda. But every routine day needs a routine. And the routine starts with God. So if your day needs to start before the kids get out of bed, then get up before the kids get out of bed and, and spend your time with God. If you need to get the kids off to school, and then you can, or if it's got to be on your lunch break or after work, but it needs to be the same thing every routine day. This is my God time. And I enforce it. I must abide in Christ today. I must have my daily bread. I must have my living water. I cannot live on what he gave me yesterday. It doesn't matter that you went to that school or that you went to that amazing conference or that there, when you were younger you were passionate and now you're old and tired. or what, it, Nothing in the past feeds you today. You must be in Christ today. That awesome worship conference you went to was great for that day. What about today? Today. Every day. Every routine day. Have a routine. So get your Bible, I suggest, an actual book Bible, and read it out loud. Michael Bickle calls this pray reading the Bible. Read it out loud. Why read it out loud? Because a few reasons. It will keep your mind occupied on what you're actually doing, because we all know we start reading and then we zone out or you start praying and pretty soon you're asleep. Or you're thinking about what you were praying about, but now I'm not praying about it, I'm thinking about it, and then I think about the next thing and the next thing and the next thing and prayer is a mile back there. Come on. Do it out loud. It will force you to remember that what you're actually doing and it will engage your mind in what you're reading. You can read silently but thinking about something else, but it's hard to read out loud and think about something else. If I'm reading Psalms out loud, I, I may have a passing thought, oh, I need to get the oil changed in my car today, but that, that thought won't stick. Whereas if I'm reading silently, I will probably chase the oil change rather than the psalm. <laughs> Come on, you're laughing because you know it's true. It's how it works. Yeah, read it out loud. It'll keep your attention. It keeps your mind from wandering. It keeps your mind turned on. And converse with God. Don't have... Any other goal than time with God. Time with God. If my goal is to read through the Bible in a year, because I want to read through the Bible in a year, then I will race through my six or eight chapters a day just to get it done. If I called my parents just to say I called them, that isn't real loving. Uh, uh, Dad, I felt guilty because I haven't called you all week, so I called you. Hi, have a nice day. Click. Uh, that's real meaningful. Come on. Sometimes I read for a long time. Other times I don't get a half a chapter read, either because conviction comes on me or because uh, there's something I don't understand, so I begin to look up other verses and try to figure this out, and so I only get a half a chapter read. You can... Read through a devotional. You can work through a Bible study program if that helps you stay on track, if that creates a routine for you. But it's got to be meaningful relationship, communion with you and God. Or it just becomes a list that you have to make it through. Read out loud and stop and converse with God. If you read a verse that excites you, stop and say, thank you, God, for that promise. That's really cool. I needed to hear that today. Say that out loud. 
If you read something you don't understand, ask him out loud. God, I don't understand this. Explain it to me. You will be shocked how in the next day or three, God will answer that. I have totally lost track of how many people have told me after I've preached the sermon, I just asked God about that just not a day or two ago, and then you preached on it this morning. Because we have the same Holy Spirit. It's really exciting, but it shouldn't be surprising. we got the same God. He knows you and he knows me, and he orchestrates things like that, you know? Converse with him. Speak out loud to him while you read out loud from him. And think about how this applies to you. And if something doesn't make sense, just keep reading. I mean, it's sometimes you're reading through Lamentations, and, and I, I, this does not apply to me. I don't get this. You just keep reading. Finish what you said you were going to do, and some sentence or word will jump out. God will give you something. If you're disciplined and you work it through in, in meaning, not just to finish the job, but in meaning, you'll, God will give you something. Again, don't read with a goal in mind other than just to hear from him. Maybe you'll read four chapters today and a half a chapter tomorrow, but in the same amount of time, just because I'm so moved I've got to get on my face and worship, or I've got to start singing, or I've got to start crying and repenting, or whatever it is, and maybe God will just give you one overall idea, or maybe he'll show you a bunch of different stuff. And, and then talk with him over his word, through his word, about his word. Pray. And that cannot be a program either. I'm not bad-mouthing prayer lists. I've never been one to keep a prayer list. I've never had a prayer list in my life, but I know a lot of people that do. And I'm, as I get older, I'm realizing I need one. I need a list for everything. So I'm not bad-mouthing prayer lists, but I, I just know a lot of people, they have their prayer list of the people and situations that they pray about, and they literally just read that list every day and tell God what they want Him to fix and who they want Him to heal, and, and that's their prayer life. And what if you did that to your mom? You sit down at the kitchen table, Mom, I've made a list of everything I want to tell you today. You read the list, thanks, Mom, it was nice to talk to you, and you leave. And she didn't get a word in edgewise. If you did that every time, that's the only communication you had with Mom, you don't have a relationship. Prayer lists are not wrong. I need to start one, actually. I really do. But it can't be a business meeting agenda. It's just a reminder of what you want to converse with God about. Prayer is with a real person who loves you and knows your heart anyway. So talk about what's really on your heart right now in this moment rather than a business agenda. It's about time, love, communion, abiding in him. You can follow a model for sure of an outline of prayer. When the disciples asked for one, Jesus gave them one. It's fine if you follow somebody's model of how to pray or the order of things you should pray about. That's totally fine as long as it means something to you. Otherwise, it's empty repetition. People badmouth the churches that recite the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. We've never done that here, but there's a lot of churches around the world that do. Well, that's just empty repetition. Well, it could be, but it's a good prayer. It did come from the mouth of Jesus. If we mean it, it's a really good prayer. It's the empty repetition of things that takes the Holy Spirit out of it. But if you really mean it, pray the Lord's Prayer every day. Turn your heart on and, and mean it. It's great. My high school prayers, when I prayed as a high school kid, I didn't pray as often as I knew I should. Of course, we're all convinced of that. But what I would do is, my prayer time was after I went to bed. I don't know why, but in high school, I always had a hard time falling asleep. I'd lay there till midnight or later, a couple hours or more. 
And sometimes I'd listen to music and other times I'd read. And some, once in a while I would pray as a 16 or 18-year-old kid. And invariably, I think every single time, I would, when I just, oh, oh, I need to pray. Instant guilt, I haven't prayed for the last few days. I have failed. And so I would begin by apologizing to God for not talking to him for a few days. And then I'd been taught to confess my sins, which is biblical and true. So my prayers would be listing everything I could think of that I had done wrong since the last time I did this, two or three or four days ago. And I would fall asleep. That was my entire prayer life as a teenager, listing everything I had done wrong and apologizing to God for not being perfect. And we can add to that list that I haven't perfectly admitted everything I'm not perfect about. And that was my entire prayer life because I would always fall asleep doing that. So I would apologize to God for who I was and what I had done and how I disappointed him, and that was prayer. So for those of you who don't know, my parents live in Missouri, and I check in with my mom and dad individually maybe twice or three or four times a week. What if I did that to my dad? I called my dad three days ago, and three days later I call him and, okay, dad, I'm really sorry I haven't called the last two days, and here's a list of everything I did wrong since we talked. And then hang up on him. He would not be happy that I called. How about when you feel the urge to pray or the thought occurs to you that you should, how about if you start by telling God how great he is, thanking him for his goodness to you and his forgiveness, and if you need to confess something, then do it. But move past that and get into friendship and communion and relationship with the Lord, instead of being ashamed of who I am and apologizing for who I am, come with a little faith and believe that he's forgiven you and he loves you and he wants you to give him a call. But, but it's been so long. I'll bet he's happy you call. Hello? I don't get my mom and dad called every week. I try to make it a habit of at least twice a week. Sometimes it's more. Uh, but I don't get them called every week. If I skip a week and I call the next week, dad does not say, why didn't you call last week? He's just, hey, how you doing? I'm talking about God and you. God is not going to say, you haven't talked to me for a week. I think I'm going to punish you a little bit. Come on. He's happy you called. Thank you for thinking of me. I, my routine is, with my parents, is that I'm so busy here at church and I'm so double busy at home that my routine is that I call my parents while I drive back and forth between here and Imbler. I'm not on the phone illegally. I have an earbud and a Bluetooth thing, just so you know. But I call while I drive. So I do that so regularly that they know. And both my mom and my dad will say, you're driving, aren't you? Yes, I am. And regularly I get home Sometimes I have freedom to sit in the driveway and finish the conversation. Sometimes I have to go. I'm like, Mom, I'm sorry. I got to go. I'm home. Okay, thanks for calling. Never once have my parents said, we don't like it that you're too busy to call us. Why don't you call us when it means something? They're just happy I called. I'm talking about you and God. 
He's not going to criticize you if during the middle of your day, okay, God, I got five minutes here. I just want to tell you that I love you. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for taking care of me. Please bless my day. Got to run. If that's all your prayer life is, that's pretty slim. But if, if that's what you got, that's what you got. God is not going to shoot you down. We may have had some earthly dads that did that. You got blamed for things. You got slapped for things you didn't know why you did. God is not going to be mad at you when you draw near to him. Even if we all know we should have done it more often, he's not going to bring that up. I know that touches more of a nerve than, than I intended. It did first service too. God is not going to just smack you when you come to talk to him and you don't know why. He's happy that you're coming to talk to him. So I can't go to my dad and I can't go to God apologizing that I'm not perfect enough and trying to think of everything I've done wrong that doesn't bless my dad and it won't bless God. If I honestly need to repent of something, then I have to. But I, my prayer life should not be trying to think of everything I did wrong. I should be trying to think of how good he is. Amen? And vice versa, the other direction. What if Will, my son, what if every time I called his name, he's like, oh no, what did I do now? If every time God is drawing us into worship or prayer, come and spend time with me, oh, I'm not sure I want to do that. I'm going to get in trouble. Sometimes when I call Will's name, I have a chore for him to do. Sometimes I need help with something. Sometimes I just want to tell him something. Sometimes I want to show him a funny meme on my phone. I just laugh together. Sometimes he is in trouble. And he can probably tell from the tone of voice when that happens. Yes. But what, how terrible would it be if he just assumed that every time I called his name, he was in trouble for something? Some of us grew up with dads like that. And I'm sorry. God is not that way. He will get angry. He does discipline us. If, you, if, if your God never gets angry at you, he's not your father. I have every right to get angry at my kids. I have no right to get angry at your kids. No matter how bratty they are, I just have to smile and nod. <laughs> but I can tell my kids what is right and wrong with force. If you think God is just smiling and nodding and patting you on the head all the time, he's not your father. If you think he's angry all the time, he's not your father. He's a real father, and he's really good. Hello? Don't go to prayer to commune with God with an attitude of shame, with an expectation of being in trouble. I can't do that with my dad, and Will can't do that with me, and we can't do it with God. We have to go with faith, that he wants us to draw near to him, that he has an invitation to commune with him, to hear my voice, and be my son and be my daughter. This is father-daughter time. This is father-son talk. This is what prayer is. Sometimes prayer is a quick request. Sometimes it's I need to get this off my chest. Other times it's more slow and loving and worshipful and communion and all of that is real life. It's all good. It just can't be a race to read a certain number of chapters and read a prayer list and I get up and go on about my day. 
we don't treat anybody else that way. We can't treat God that way. We can say whatever we want and give him time to say what he wants. Sustained, long-term, lots of time together relationship and you will very easily hear his voice. You create time, you force time to happen in a sacred schedule, a sacred location. You develop a routine and that routine becomes very meaningful and it feeds you, it sustains you. And if you miss it, you miss it. Like, God, I missed my time with you this morning. I am aware of that. I need time with you. You'll very quickly and easily hear the voice of the Lord after you create that habit where you've tuned your heart in Amen.